following is a message from Praise and Worship, a community of people in Branson, Missouri who are loved by Jesus and joining Him in His mission to bring love and hope to all people. For more information and for more audio and video content, visit www.branson.church. I want you to, I want to introduce to you 16-year-old me, okay? 16-year-old me, I'm in biology one, biology 1 at Republic High School in here in Republic, Missouri, and um, we had a great teacher, Mark Fryer. Some of you guys might know Mark. He's a, he's a, 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 a Jesus follower up in Springfield, and um, great teacher. But there came this day when he presented to us the story of evolution. And today we're doing Genesis chapter 1, so it's, an, it's, it's, it's relevant, right? He introduces the story of, of evolution, and we listened to it, and he was very careful to say, I'm not telling you this, what, this is what happened. What I'm telling you is I want you to know that people in the scientific community have presented this as a, as a theory. And, um, and that was in 1987 or something, and so I don't think they would say theory anymore. I think now they would say fact, but that's, that's another whole can of worms we'll deal with later. He said, I want you to consider this as a theory, and he goes, I'm not trying to tell you what to believe. But what was interesting is he encouraged us then a little bit later to have a conversation amongst ourselves, us kids. And after he had presented kind of the basics of the story from Charles Darwin and on through the 20th century, and as they brought in, you know, the study of genetics and combined that with, the, with Darwin's theory of, of evolution, and they, they, you know, we learned all of that, and we're, we're a bunch of 16, 17-year-olds sitting around these little science tables. You know how they're the black tables, and they got the little beakers everywhere and the little, you know, whatever. And so you're just sitting there, and it's strange, and we're talking about this. And I remember somebody said, well, Mark, what do you think? Do you think that this is true? And I said to, my, I said to them, I said, well, maybe that's just how God did it. Maybe he used evolution to do all this creation stuff. For me, it wasn't a question of whether God was the creator. The question was just how did he do it, right? And so that was 16-year-old me. Now, I want you to fast forward to 22-year-old me. Now I've learned a lot more. I've read a lot more books, and I'm far more arrogant. <laughs> I know that's hard for some of you to believe. But, but I'm having a conversation with a friend and, and I'm telling him about all these things about how the taxonomy of science is so wrong. And just so you know, I've, by this point, I've become a full, what you call a fire-breathing young earth creationist. And I don't mean that I don't believe in a young earth now. What I'm trying to say is I was a fire-breathing one, right? Those are the kinds of people that if you don't believe in the young earth, you're going to hell. That's where I was when I was 22. And I was wrong. And not, the, not about the age of the earth, but about the fire-breathing part. And so I'm going through all this stuff, and, and I'm telling one of my friends about how, you know, they've got the taxonomy all wrong because, you know, you guys make 17,000 species of elephants, but at the end of the day, a woolly mammoth, you look at it, or you look at an African elephant, you look at both of them, they're elephants, right? And I'm doing this whole thing, and, and I'm making this thing, and, and you know what happened to, to that friend? I don't either, because we didn't, weren't friends anymore. Because I was so fired up about being right that I breathed fire all over him instead of loving my neighbor. And I hope you see something. So I want to fast forward to 46-year-old Mark. That's today, by the way. And so now, if I was to have an opportunity to sit down with that friend, I would have a very different conversation. And the reason I would have a different conversation is because I really don't know how old the earth is. I've heard all the stories. I've heard Ken Ham's theories. I've heard everybody else's theories. And I listen to them all, and I'm like, yeah, but you just don't know that. And, and the scriptures really aren't interested in that question. I find that very, I mean, you can add up Adam's age, but it also says there was many other sons and daughters and all these other things were going on that's not in the story because that's not what the story's about. 
The Bible doesn't exist to say the earth was 6,798 years old or 600 billion years old. The Bible is here to tell you about Jesus because you and I go through life struggling and, and facing all kinds of things and regardless of the age of the earth, we're all going to die. And that is why Jesus came. And this is why when we start talking about according to their kinds, this becomes so important. I don't want you to be 16-year-old me who thought that you know, well, maybe it was whatever. You know, maybe God used evolution or whatever. I, I mean, no, 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 we're going to talk about that. But 22-year-old me was even worse. 22-year-old me was this, you know, you've heard the phrase, nobody wins an argument. I, I am living testimony to that. Please take a look with me at Genesis chapter 1, verse 24. We're going to put these on the screen, zoom in on some words, because I want you guys to grow in God's word today. And God said, let the land produce. I think that's pretty interesting pretty interesting. Let the land produce. You know, the animals didn't poof out of thin air. The land produced them. What does that mean? I have no idea, but I think that's very interesting. I think it's worth us to pause a moment the minute we think we're right about everything. And I'm talking about myself right now more than anybody. And then there's these next two words, living creatures. Now, we use the NIV here at Praise and Worship, and that's great. And we're going to talk about growing in that in, in this year. But the point that I want to see is that language, and you can read all the other English translations, they're all going to come up with something similar in that. But the Hebrew words there are very interesting, and, and Hebrew words are such that I always need to double-check because I don't have them memorized. But it is this word, first of all, living is haya, which is great. I mean, it's just like, sounds like a karate move or something. Haya, which is, this is living, right? But then creatures, the thing that gets translated as creatures is the word nefesh. Now, sometime we're going to do a big study on nefesh because it's such a powerful word, but the thing I want you to know is that most of the time in the Old Testament, which is what Hebrew, that's where Hebrew is, that word is translated as soul, which I think is very interesting. So the animals are called living, could you say souls? We want to be mindful to the nuances here in this context, but the point is still made that <laughs> when God created the animals, they are not the same as plants. Plants don't have nefesh. Animals do. Okay? Even the creepy crawly ones, which is a little bit concerning to me. But that's okay, because here we go. We're talking about the living creatures. And this is the first clue that 16-year-old Mark was wrong. God didn't use evolution to do the thing because evolution requires death to function. The, the core foundation of evolutionary theory is the concept of natural selection. Natural selection works like this. The creatures that are the strongest by way of adaptation and so forth, those that have the strongest attributes survive, and those that aren't die. And that's how the, that's how the enterprise of evolution works, is it's carried forward through death being a functional, a beneficial even, mechanism to the process. God's plan was that nothing would die. Haya, living creatures. He, his plan was always to be a plan of life. Now, page three, when we get there, we're going to see where death entered the story. But it ain't there yet on page one. So when we make a comment about something like how the, 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 the God used death to forward life, that's, just, that's against the word of God. That's not true. Now, does it mean that that, that means that I have to reject all those ideas. I think it's very interesting to study how creatures adapt and how you know, you, we can talk about the differences between microevolution and macroevolution. And sometime you'll have to sit down with me. I'll introduce you to Michael Behe's books. They're really good. And you're like, Mark, can we move on now? Yes, we can. So take a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, because this is the perspective that we read page 1. 
from which we read page one. And this is so important. The message of the cross, Paul writes by the power of the Spirit, is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to, those who, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. See, the challenge for you and for me is to talk about the message of the cross with someone who is struggling with, you know, but the story of our culture and put forth by science is this whole business, and, and yet you're calling me just to ignore all that science and just to focus on this other thing. And, and that is absolutely not what we're doing. So one of the things that we're studying in our, in our Bible study right now is why, you know, the study of what's called mere churchianity is why, why, why do so many people not want to go to church anymore? And of course, one of the huge reasons is because there's a bunch of judgmental Christians there. I don't know if you've ever experienced that, right? Some people have. And of course, we love to, we love to remind everybody that praise and worship is not that way. But at the same time, we, we were studying this morning how we need to consistently repent of our inclination to do that. Of course, the real thing is, is that every human is judgmental. We just get to know a few, you'll know what I mean. However, one of the other big problems with churches today is that, is that sometimes there's this idea that we have to somehow reject the things we learn in the, in, the, in the sciences, the things that we grow in in those things, or the things that we discover, and, and that we have to somehow leave our brain out in the parking lot, and we have to come in here and only use faith. And I want to hear you, I want you to hear me very clearly. That is not the case. Because not only is that not the case, the opposite is true. This should be the place where we ask more questions than ever. Because this is the place where we talk about what God said. He said, and it was good. See, and this enters in because one of the challenges we have in our culture is there's this thing called scientism, not science. Science is when you observe, you study, you predict, you experiment. I should say you experiment, and then you predict, and then you, you formulate hypotheses, theories, the whole nine yards. And I'm being a little sloppy with the language. A true scientist would clarify those details, but you see what I'm saying. That is a process which is valid and appropriate. And guess who, guess, guess who came up with that idea? A guy by the name of Francis Bacon, who was a very devout Anglican in London at the time. You know, so it's like, this is not opposite of God or anything like that. But there is something called scientism, and scientism goes like this. The only way you can actually know something is if you can prove it. That's, that's what's prevalent in our culture. The only, way you can, the only thing something can be true is if you can prove it sort of in a laboratory or an experiment or through data analysis, something like that. In other words, empirical. Something that you can, you know, touch observe, sample, predict from. Now, that's, that's, that's okay, but then what if I say, if I say, or rather important, more importantly, God says something is good, then what do we do? Of course, the challenge is, is if I hold to the belief, and this is important, guys, hear me clearly, if I hold to the belief that the only things that can be, you know, true or valuably, valuable as knowledge are the things that can be empirically verified or tested in a test tube or done through data analysis, I have to realize that that statement cannot be. Did you catch that? The idea that the only way I can have knowledge is that which is proven through the scientific method cannot be proven through the scientific method. And so now what do you do with that? And this is, what, this is the reality of the world we live in. So scientism is a challenge. Science is a joy. And for those of you who are here today, I encourage you to, if, that, if you're into science, keep rocking it, right? That's, that's, that's a good way to say it. So when we look at this scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, we are never coming to the point that's saying, you know, God's the one who's wise and humans are just dumb. 
Although it can start to feel like that because I don't know you see this first line. This first line says the message of the cross is foolishness. And that word foolishness in Greek is the Greek word moros. You might have noticed an English word that's very close to that. Moron. Right? You've heard that English word? You might be wondering, did moron come from moros? Yes, because that would just be moron. It, moron is just moros in the accusative sense for the Greek scholars out there. And so, accusative case, I should say. So the foolishness there is like moronic, right? That's, kind of, that's a good way. I mean, it's a valid way to say it. In fact, a good, a good um, translation would be stupid, but we're trying not to be too, well, we're going to have to be honest. It's foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Now, what do we mean by that? Do we mean that if someone loves to adhere to um, scientific principles in their study of knowledge, that this is just not going to be for them? The answer is obviously not. Instead, what we want to see is that someone who is so interested in breathing fire on those who disagree with them is where we're in trouble. Take a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 23. Now, you've got to be careful because this is MLV. That means Mark's literal version. And so what I want to do is I'm, and I, I'm, I'm opening up this, think of you know, like putting this piece of Scripture up on the table. We're going to open it up and put magnifying glasses on a couple of places. And it says that what we do is we preach Christ crucified. Okay? Which is to say we tell the story of Jesus and we spend a whole lot of time on this business of Him going to the cross. And a whole lot of time on his, this business of him rising from the dead. Okay, so that's what Christ crucified means. And then the next word in Greek is scandalon. That's where we get our word for scandal. And it says a scandal to Jews. Now it's important because a lot of people get all bent out of shape. Like, oh, the Apostle Paul's being anti-Semitic. No, he's not. He's a Jew also. So it's, this is the idea of a theology where you are, you, the only way you can ever get to God is through your own works, through your own righteousness. And this is where he would call them Judaizers and the circumcision group and a few other things throughout his letters. So this idea when he's talking about it, he's talking about religious people. And I mean that in the worst sense of the word. You know what I mean about a religious person. You've got you to have good living, clean living, right living. You know what I'm saying? And it's this idea that, that you try harder, you get better, you do more, and that by doing that, you will get right with God. And he's saying, when we preach Christ crucified, what we're saying is actually, if you have had a terrible life and you've had nothing but failure and you've gone against God your whole life, but at this moment you were to receive the promise and believe the words in your heart that you are forgiven and that you are saved. And you know what that is to religious people? That's a scandal. That's a scandal. Because how, it can't work that way. God can't actually forgive me even no matter what. Well, maybe you might be willing he can forgive you, but there might be someone in your life that you're like, well, he can't forgive him or her. Oh, yes, he can. This is, the, this is the scandal of the cross. God is so audacious as to love us no matter what. He loves us because of who we are, not what we've done. In fact, the world is the one who says you are what you do, right? If, you're, you know, you, if, you're a, if this is your occupation, then that's what you are. If you are... If you're a convict, Pastor Barry's down in uh, Angola prison in, Lu in Louisiana right now telling the story of Jesus. He's doing Christ crucified in the prison, right? What a scandal. How could those murderers and thieves and you know, all the different kinds of crimes they've committed receive this good news? Answer, because Jesus said, because Paul, by the power of the Holy Spirit and God's word, told us to, to tell the story. We preach Christ crucified. That's what we do. We don't mess around by saying, be a good person. We mess around by saying, God is a good person, and he gave everything to save you and me. 
Now look at this. The next word, we went ahead and pushed it all the way. It's that word moros again, and we allowed it to be what it is, stupid. Because to someone who is a secular person, and here we're defining secular as someone who says, yeah, I just, I'm an atheist, I don't believe in any of those things, that's all just nonsense, it's stupid, right? And those are the people who would say to me, when, again, the 22-year-old me, they would say things like, I hope you enjoy your time with the flying spaghetti monster because they were trying to make fun of my faith. And I understand that and I appreciate that. And they would say, he's going to reach out to you with his noodly appendage and all of those kinds of things. And I get that. And I, you, know, you can be like, eh. but they're just, they're, the scripture said that this is what, how they would react. They're like, this is dumb. It's just idiotic. It's moronic. It's foolish. And so what do we keep doing? We keep telling the story of Jesus, even though it's a scandal to those who think you have to earn your way to God. And it's foolishness, it's stupidity to those who think there is no God. But we believe that this story is the power of God. So if you ask me, you're like, well, how, how do you turn it around? If, they've got a, if you've got somebody who has been in prison, or you've got somebody who has had terrible life, or you've got somebody who's still struggling with all the whatever is going on in their life, addictions or bad relationships or whatever, or any of the things that all of us struggle with, which I can tell you, but I don't, you don't want to hear it. And so you could do all of those things, and you could say, how do, we, how do we resolve that? Still this. Because, see, if you said, Mark, I had the most terrible week, and I made the worst mistake of my life, and I said, yeah, but Jesus, man, he came for you. He, he, you're like, God wouldn't move heaven and earth for me. Actually, he brought heaven to earth for you. That's what I would say. We preach Christ, the crucified one, the savior of the world, God himself coming down to absorb all of the things that were meant for you and me. All the wrath of God was poured out on God himself. In other words, he said, it's like this. It's just very simple. He's like, okay, here, I love you. You guys really messed up the world. You broke the world. You made this whole living creature thing, according to its kinds, into this giant, huge death ball. I mean, that's just what the earth became, right? And he goes, he goes I loved you, and this is what the humans did. My response, well, by justice, by justice, by goodness, because God is good, there demand, there's a demand for righteousness to be made right from all of that bad. And he goes, and I love you so much, I'm going to be the one who takes that. I'm going to take the, the, the demand for righteousness and I'm going to set you free. And you're like, Mark, that just sounds too good to be true. And that's why I keep saying it. I'm going to say it every single day as long as there's breath in my lungs because it's the most important thing that you and I could ever hear. Take a look at verse 27. We're still in MLV mode, so keep your yellow alert going. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to see, because this is so important. Because you're like, well, why... Why do we have to talk about page one then? Let's just talk about Jesus. Because guys, if you think God didn't create the universe and he didn't create you, then you're not going to ever be able to hear the good news about how much he loves you. Because he created you. And it wasn't a random accidental thing. You know, you and me via the zoo from a pond to goo or any of those kinds of things. It's, here's what it is. God chose the moros, the stupid things of the world. To shame the wise. And i got to be honest with you guys, there where it says shame, I looked it up because I'm like, is it really that strong? It's actually probably stronger to disgrace, to like put them in their place. In other words, God's like, you know, you, know, you who are the clay and I'm the potter and you're going to tell me what's right? Yeah, it's kind of silly. So God intentionally chose the stupid things of the world to shame the wise. He chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. What does this mean? Does this mean that he's out there trying to make everybody look bad? No. But he, what it means is that he is going to work through. Wait a minute, you're starting to realize that. 
I mean, is God calling me stupid? No, no, no. But he's going to work through those things that don't make any sense to bring the clarity of his will to you, which is to say, what doesn't make sense? The fact that I could be a terrible, evil creature and that he would die for me, that he would die for you. This is what, it's, it, it, it's just, it's the opposite. It's what, it's what the Gospel of Luke, we talked about this last year, year before when we went through the Gospel of Luke, it's the upside-down kingdom, right? It's this idea that, you know, God comes down and he's not, he doesn't take up shack in the palace he goes down to the manger, right? You know, in the, in the, in the stable. And I mean, and he, he just sort of, he just walks around Galilee, which was the backwoods country that nobody ever wanted to go to. It's just like Arkansas. I'm just kidding. And so God made Arkansas. It's his place, God's country. And so, and so that's just humor. And so anyway, you've got all these things. And what is so important to see is that the upside down kingdom works like this. Because you know what's stupid is when you're in the eyes of, of, of people who are opposed to you, and what do you do? Well, I'll surrender to them. You're standing in front of people who could kill you with a single thought. Go ahead. Let them do it. I don't care. I believe in Jesus. I believe that he walked out of the tomb. Go ahead. Whatever. You know, today. Today. What's going to happen today? Is our congregation going to vote to do this or to do that? At the end of the day, Jesus reigns at the right hand of the Father, and it'll just be a new chapter of discovering what it is, no matter what we choose. And so this is, you can apply this to every aspect of your life, your job, your, your family, your, your situations, your immediate concerns or worries or fears or guilts, your shame. <laughs> that's, what, that's where God's, that's where he's doing business, right? As, as my, one of my mentors used to say, we do business, right? And he's doing business in your life, in the stupid things, in the weak things. That's where he's working. It's the opposite of what we would ever imagine. Take a look at verse 30. Because this is where it just goes off the chart. It is from Him that you are in Christ Jesus, who continues to be, because we had, to, we had to learn, in seminary we had to learn about participles, and there's this continuing action, so we translate it that way, who continues to be, for us, wisdom from God. He is wisdom, right? You read the Old Testament, you discover there's almost this character wisdom right yeah yeah interesting that's what's being discussed right here and his name is jesus and he is from god and what does he do what does his wisdom do he gives you righteousness now righteousness guys let's not mess around that's a church word so we're like eh, righteous what does that mean it means that god declares you perfect the wisdom of god get this the wisdom of god is to say to you you are perfect the wisdom of god is to say to you that you are holy and see, there's a whole other word there. Holy is the holiness of God. Holy is, again, we oftentimes think, oh, that's just another version of be good. Holiness means be different. He set you apart. He made you different. And yes, sometimes that might look like good to people, but it may not always look good. It may look stupid and weak, which is very different from what we would expect. And the last word is redemption. This is so important, guys, because here's where this goes. Okay, here's where this goes. Redemption means that when the accuser comes, and yeah, I know we've written him out of our literature and everything as well. I get that. He's the, he's the, uh, the, church, the church lady said to us, could it be Satan? You know, and then we all realized that was ridiculous and we deleted him, right? 
But what actually happened is that he got all the more entrenched and he comes to you and he comes to me every day and he says, he goes, you know, I know that stupid preacher guy was saying all those things, but he goes, it's just a bunch of hooey because at the end of the day, you are still a piece of trash. That's what he will say to you and that's what he says to me. And this is the part where, this is where my Uncle Marty would say, you just look at him and you say to him, might be true. What of it? Jesus Christ died for me. He covered me with his blood. He bought me with his blood. And his blood cries out from the ground, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Forgive them because of the righteousness and holiness that he puts on you and on me. That's what, that's what you say. And so when redemption comes and the accuser, when you have redemption and the accuser comes, you can just say, get out of my face, devil. You ain't got nothing here. You got no business here. Jesus Christ saved me. Jesus Christ saved me. And you know how you know that he saved you? Because I just told you. You know how you know that it's true? It's because when the words hit your eardrums and they vibrate and they somehow get down into your heart, you believe them. That's all. There's no, there's no like, gotcha. There's no if, then, or but. It's just true. Believe the promise. So, remember you had 16-year-old me, you had 22-year-old me, and now you got 46-year-old me. It makes me think about what's like 66-year-old me going to be like? Yikes, I, 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 what, what's that going to be like? It's going to be trouble. Everybody was like, yeah, remember that? It's trouble. And so, and so what's really interesting is, is look at how much I grew and how much I grew, which means how much more will I grow because of Jesus, because of him doing this in my life, doing this in your life. And it made me get to thinking as we think about today of our, you know, our next chapter for our church, is that, you know, here's what's really interesting. Think of 2007 Praise and Worship in Bart Rocket Theater. And think of 2008 Bart Praise and Worship in the Golden Corral. You know, and think of 2013 Praise and Worship over at Stonebridge. And then 2015 here in Linwell Winery all the way up to today. And you think of how different it is, and yet how the same it is. And yet there are differences, and it will continue to be different. And, it, you know, what will it be 10 years from now? It'll be, it'll be more different. But you know what will never change? We're going to preach Christ crucified. Because it's the power of God. And guys, if the power of God is present, and may I just tell you, he is here. He cannot be stopped. Just like he couldn't be stopped then, and he can't be stopped now. And you know what's really interesting? Is that he said to us, go make disciples of all nations. And I think it's very interesting that the phrase, according to their kinds, comes into play. In other words, you and I were broken, messed up people. He saved us. There's a whole lot of people around us that are broken and messed up people, and he's going to help us reproduce according to our kind, if you'll allow that language, to make more disciples, to make more people who can hear the, this story and become the righteousness, the holiness, and receive the redemption that is from Christ Jesus. Can we pray about that? Please pray with me. Father, we ask you right here and right now to pour out your Spirit on us so that we would remember that no matter where we're at in life, whether it's the old us, the old, even older us, or the new us, or the us that isn't to come, that no matter where we're at, we will learn how to tell your story and to participate in the, the story of Jesus. Give us confidence and trust that no matter what happens, we'll be with you. No matter what the situation is that we run into, when the devil calls and says, look at you, trash, we can say, yeah, actually redeemed by the Lord Most High. 
And he says, yeah, but I saw what you did. And then we can say, yeah, but let me tell you what he did. And we can rejoice in that. And when we go to a funeral and we weep, we still have hope because Jesus came out of the tomb alive and promised that there will come a day when there will be a new heavens and a new earth where there will be no more death, no more tears, no more sickness, no more suffering. All because of this story of Christ crucified. It's in his mighty name that we pray. Amen.